Brett has been preaching on what in the world am I here for? Remember that series he did for several weeks? And then last week he preached on the Isaiah, here am I, send me, send me. And, and it's, it's, all that is about what in the world are you going to do for God? I mean, really, that's really the question is why were you made? Why, why did God make you? Why are you on this side of the grass? Is there a purpose to your life? That's the big existential question, isn't it? Why, why am I here? Well, I want to drill down on what Brett has been talking about and get into real details about your specific life. And I'm going to do that starting out by asking a question. Show of hands. How many of you have experienced hardship, trauma, pain in your life? I suspect everyone rose their hand. If you didn't, come see me after class. Jesus told us we would have trouble in this world. Paul says... I consider the, the, the suffering he has gone through to be nothing compared to the glory he's going to experience in heaven. Peter tells us, don't be surprised by your suffering. Why, why are you surprised by this? All throughout the scriptures, we see people having a hard time. And there's traumatic events. You can have all sorts of things happen in your life. There's death of a spouse or a child. There's lost love and divorce. There's abuse. You can have physical, emotional, verbal. You can have, uh, unfortunately, sexual and spiritual abuse. There's neglect and abandonment you can suffer. Betrayal, false accusations, right? You, you can have personal pain of addictions, and you can go to jail and have that experience. You can have mental health struggles, financial crises. There's special needs children that come into your life that, that tax you a little bit, and how do you deal with that? And then you can have a lot loss of, of like your self-worth and your value. And the list goes on and on and on of all the things that can happen to you in life. This, this place is, is hard. Jesus told us it would not be easy. He just told us it'd be worth it. But what do we do with this mess? Well, Scripture kind of starts and tells us, and I want to get right into it. In Romans 8.28, we read these words. And we know that to them that love God, all things work together for the good that are called according to his purpose. Now, I purposely read the KJV version because I just like it better. But I want to go into a little bit of a word study here real quick because these words are really important. Of course, the love of God in this statement, for those who love God, is agape. You've heard agape before. But it really means unconditional love. It doesn't mean, oh, I love God uh, when I think about him. Or I, I love God when I need him. Or I love God when I pray. It means unconditional. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cost, no matter anything, you love God. Now, what is this agape? What is it? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, if you agape me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's what love looks like. So when we go back to the Romans and it says, to them that love God, what we're really saying is for them that love Jesus, they'll do what he commands. That's how we know that you love God. And then it says, all things will work together for good. Work together is, is meaning that it's work and power from the Lord that is put forth in partnership with us. Too often we think that all things work together is God just doing stuff. It's not just God. We're in partnership with God. It's a relationship. So all things working together means we're all in this together working toward things, right? And then it says, 
to them that are called according to his purpose. Called, the word is kletos. It's invited, appointed, a saint. So when we go back to Romans 8, 28, we know to them that love God, you're going to obey Jesus. All things work together for good because you're in partnership with God and he's working with his power in your situation and that you are called, you're the elect, you are invited by God to do his purpose. So there's a little bit more to that, that, that verse than just simply thinking, well, all things work together for good. I don't know how it works, and I guess that's a nice statement. It's very powerful. And here's what I want to tell you why that matters. God is sovereign. Everything that happens in your life is, is, is for a purpose. There can't, be, there can't be things that happen that are purposeless. That would not be how God works. So even your pain has purpose. And I'm going to tell you here, something's going to challenge you. The purpose of your pain is this. Your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. Let me say that again. Your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. Now, I'm going to tell you that Rick Warren said that and Mark Driscoll did, but I'm sure they stole it from me. I'm just going to say that because I think I was saying it first. Now, before you think that this is going to be some kind of spiritual TED talk or some counseling session, let me tell you why your greatest pain comes, your greatest ministry comes from your greatest pain. The example we have is Jesus. Jesus' greatest ministry came from his greatest pain. What was Jesus' greatest pain? Losing us to the fall. We fell to temptation and we lost relationship with God and we were separated and we were enemies of God and we were kicked out of the garden and domain over the earth was taken from us. And that pained and grieved God. And eternally the son said, I will reconcile that. And his greatest ministry was to find that which was lost, which is us. It's you, it's me. It's not just the guys 5,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 It's us. His greatest ministry is saving the lost because it came from his greatest pain. Now, we are told, be like Jesus, right? Well, I think of no better way than to be like Jesus than to take the pain we have and use it for our greatest ministry. It's interesting because everything in your life, everything has prepared you to do great things. Everything. So I want to I kind of go through uh, Ephesians 2.10. You all know Ephesians 2.10. I talk about it all the time. Brett talks about it. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, let me, let me pull this apart for a second. We were created to do good works. You weren't created to have a job. You weren't created to do you know, hobbies. You, you were created to do good works that the Lord prepared in advance. Before the beginning of time, he knew you were going to be created to do this work. And he prepared you for that. Isn't that awesome? If God knew our name before we were born and, and knew us in our mother's womb, right? And had plans to prosper us, all those scriptures we always quote. 
We get to Ephesians 2.10 and learn that the reason that we're here is to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Mark 2.17 says this. On hearing this, and he's talking about the Pharisees are, are talking to his disciples and kind of giving Jesus a hard time about eating with sinners. It was that, that scene where he's eating with Matthew and the tax collectors. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So when you get this part where Ephesians says you were created to do good works, and Jesus says, Hey, I, I'm here for sinners. I, they need a doctor. They need, they need someone to help them. You start to see an alignment of good works and service and, and righteousness being tied together with people that are hurting and broken. Because what are sinners? They're just broken people, blinded by Satan, who, do not, who don't know the Lord, who have not met Jesus, or don't understand Jesus, or don't know the Jesus you and I know. That's what sinners are. Sinners are just people that are selfish and do what they think is right instead of doing what God has planned for them. It's not more complicated than that. Here's why I think that your greatest ministry will come from your greatest pain. Like Jesus meeting with sinners, he met them where they were. Jesus didn't say to the tax collector, hey, come on over to the synagogue and we'll talk to you. No, he went out. And he said, hey, I'm going to have dinner at your place. A rabbi having dinner with a tax collector in his house in first century Jerusalem? Is that crazy? It's actually Capernaum. It's nuts. You wouldn't do that. And that's why Jesus says to us, for those of us who have been saved, those of us who have found our way out of the dark, we have an absolute responsibility to go back into the dark and lead others out. You know why? Because we know the way. And the truth and the life. We have to share Jesus. In Galatians 6 2, it says this carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When I read this, the carry each other's burdens part, I get. You're supposed to walk with people, you're supposed to help them through their, their struggles, you're supposed to help them through their pain, meet them where they are, be with them, right? But what is this love of what is the law of Christ? Well, it's in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. He gave everything for us. So when he says that you must fulfill the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens, it means you must carry each other's burdens sacrificially. You must meet people where they are and give and give and give and give. Just like Jesus did to us. That's the law of Christ. It's called love. So how did Jesus do it? Well, he touched the lepers. He hung out with prostitutes and traitors. He, he came for sinners, not the righteous. He had compassion on them. And in order to be like Jesus, we have to touch the lepers of our time. We, we, we have to carry the burdens of, of the marginalized, of the broken, of the painful. Because we know we were them, and Jesus healed us, and now it's our turn. Now, I don't, want, I don't want to get me wrong here. All ministry that talks about the good news of Jesus Christ 
being a substitutionary payment for our sin to reconcile us with God and his death on the cross paid that penalty, overcame death through his resurrection and, etern- and, and, and gives us eternal life. Any ministry that talks about that is good ministry. But Craig Rochelle, who's a, uh, uh, a guy in a church back, back in the Midwest, pretty famous guy, he talks about discerning the good from the great. And it's my contention that you weren't made just to do good. You were made to do great. I was made to do great. And to do great, I have to figure out that thing that Ephesians 2.10 talks about, which is, what was prepared for me to do before the beginning of the time? What were these works that were prepared for me to do? You see, I'm the only one that can do the thing that God created me to do. You're the only one that can do the thing God created you to do. And I'll be honest with you, I spent a lot of time doing other things. Even when I was first getting back in ministry, I've been in this church for 16 years now. I had been out of the church for 25. When I started doing things, it was just to do things. And it was good things, right? It was teaching Bible studies and uh, doing other things. It was good, but it wasn't the thing. It wasn't the great thing. And when I finally figured out the great thing, my life fundamentally changed. Spiritually, physically, everything. Financially, everything changed once I figured out that great thing. And so the hard part about your greatest ministry coming from your greatest pain is nobody wants to go back into their greatest pain. That's crazy talk. You escaped. Why would you want to do that? Because you know the way out. And it's to glorify God because it's really not about you. It's really not about me. So when you think about how God uses your pain for this greatest ministry, first it's about personal healing. You've got to trust God to heal you through the Holy Spirit. You've got to be vulnerable and transparent to the Lord so he can, he can fix the brokenness in you. You have to want that brokenness fixed. A lot of people, they say it, but they don't really mean it. You have to address the cause of your situation, not the symptoms. You've got you to forgive and trust God's judgment is perfect and his justice will prevail. And when you have that healing, then you know you can come out of that darkness and you can go back in. And this is why programs like AA are so successful. It's alcoholics who have been through the program and have been clean and sober for a long period of time helping others get clean and sober. You know why? They know the prescription. They know how to make it work. Well, as Christians, we know how God's prescription works. We know how to heal the broken because we were broken and God healed us and we apply what he taught us to that situation. Now, the other part is the Alcoholics Anonymous guy has credibility. He's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Now, if you've had pain and trauma and, and hardship in your life, which I know you have, when you do ministry in that area and you're talking to somebody's life, you have a credibility. You're not just someone saying, well, I think in theory this is how it works. No, you're saying, I live that. And this is how you get out of it if you want to. You have a shared experience with people where you're meeting them where they are, just like Jesus met people where they are, instead of you just kind of being some theoretical person going, well, you know, I think if you did X, Y, and Z, maybe that would help. And the biggest part is this. When you go back into the dark, you have compassion for people. Jesus said he had compassion for people when he did healings. You know, Scripture says that we have a high priest that has suffered everything we've suffered, knows everything we know, feels everything we feel, which is why he can minister to us us and intercede with the Father so well. 
Well, you're the same. You can look at somebody that was in your position and go, oh man, I hurt for them. Because I remember what that was like. So you have a young divorced person who needs someone to walk with them. You've been divorced. You know that pain. You have someone struggling with a mental health issue. You've struggled with some mental health issues. So you, you walk with them. You see someone who's had financial issues, can't pay the rent, doesn't have food. You, you've had those problems when you were younger. Now you're going to walk with them. That is how God uses you in your greatest ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Um, you, you know this one. Uh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit uh, distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, right? There are, same, uh, are different kinds of working, but all in them, and everyone is the same God at work. So basically, we have different things we do. You know, I got pictures up here of the, of the Chetties and, and uh, Miriam and Ed here, and, and they did ministry in Congo and Beirut, Lebanon, respectively, um, I didn't do that. That's not what I'm called to. I, I'm called to work with homeless and ex-cons and, and mental health people and college students. And I'm, that's my, my calling is different. But it's the same spirit that gave us the gifts. It's the same Lord that, that oversees us. It's the same God that's calling us to these things. What's your call? Where is your greatest pain? What, what is it you're supposed to be doing that God prepared for you before the beginning of time to do? Well, I'm going to help you with that. I get asked repeatedly, repeatedly, I don't know what my ministry is supposed to be. I don't understand my spiritual gifts. I don't know why God made me. I don't know what my purpose is. I get this all the time. And to answer that, I created a little exercise. Now, again, I think Rick Warren's going to say he did this, but I'm going to tell him that, that I had this first because I believe I did. It's a little variation on the discipleship program that Calvary did. You may recall a couple years ago, Pastor Brett did a discipleship uh, a program. It had four different uh, classes, and uh, it, it basically took a holistic approach to what you're supposed to do for the Lord. I'm going to break it down into something simple. So in your life, you have these things. You have innate experiences, which means things you're just really good at that you were born with. Maybe you're a good talker, maybe you're a good listener, maybe you're a counselor, maybe, who knows, maybe you're funny, who knows what it is. You have education. You went to high school, maybe vocational school, you took an uh, online course, you learned something on your own. Education, that's a lane. Third lane, you have life experiences, what I call the school of hard knocks. What has life taught you? Life is the best teacher, isn't it? Um, I saw this great thing that said the hard thing about life is uh, the test comes first and then the questions, right? <laughs> or then the answers. Uh, so life, life lessons. N next, you have passions. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What just really fires you up? Anything? And then lastly, your spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are tricky. Uh, you look at them and there's a whole bunch of them. And you got to do this spiritual gifts inventory. But in and of itself, a spiritual gifts inventory is just one leg of a five-legged stool. Because once I give you a spiritual gifts inventory, I know what board you should sit, maybe sit on at the church, but I don't know what you should be doing for the Lord. This is just part of it because God has given you a whole life of experience to work with. 
So on the screen, you're going to see a sample outline. The innate abilities, the person's friendly, a good listener, they're athletic, they got a sense of humor, they've been in high school, they got an associate's degree, they've had some special training. They, their life lessons, they're a single mom, uh, they, they have hard work because they got paid bills, they're loyal, they believe in loyal, loyalty, and they never give up. Their passions are helping others and sports and fixing problems. And then their gifts are serving and leadership and helps and distinguishing spirits. What do you do with all this? Do you recognize that there's a line that connects all five columns? This is the key. When you write your columns down, and by the way, I have these sheets here at the church, or you can just email me, and I'll send you one of these sheets, and you can do this yourself. There is a line that connects all five columns that will tell you exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Because it connects how you were born, what you learned, your experiences of life, the things that God put passions in your life to do, and how he gifted you all into one thing. This person here, honestly, would be a great life coach. Helping people get back on their feet financially, personally, and otherwise. You can see that through this as they're moving forward. So, what do you do with your pain? What do you do with your pain? You can use it for ministry, your greatest ministry, or, or your pain can control you. If your pain controls you, you can be angry. You can have bitterness. You can be critical. You can be judgmental. You can, you can be unloving and untrusting. You can be depressed and, and have emotional numbness to everything because, because, you know, your pain's too much. You can be fearful. You can self-medicate. You can disassociate. You can do all sorts of things with that pain. Or you can use that pain for your greatest ministry by getting Holy Spirit healing, meeting people where they are, connecting with people, in that, in that pain, showing love of Christ and compassion, showing mercy and grace to people, softening their hearts so that the Holy Spirit can do his work. It's not your work to, con to heal them. It's not your work to, to convert them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do all that. Your job is to build a relationship so that they can hear about Jesus. Because Jesus does the healing. <laughs> So when Jesus changed my heart, if you would ask me 20 years ago if I'd be doing the ministries I'm doing, I told you you're nuts. Out of your mind. I would never go back into the dark and deal with ex-cons. I would never go back into the dark and deal with homeless. I would never go back and deal with dysfunctional kids and families. I would never do what I do. I would never counsel people with PTSD and other issues. It was too traumatic for me. It was too triggering. But when I figured this out, that God will use your greatest pain for your greatest ministry. And I submitted to that idea. He fundamentally rocked my world. And there's nothing better that I do. I get up every morning excited to go out and see who God's going to put in front of me in a divine appointment where I can use all of what he's given me to pour into somebody else so that they know Jesus. So your greatest ministry will come from your greatest pain if you let it. There are lots of good things to do. And don't get me wrong, they're good things. But don't let it interrupt the great thing you're supposed to do. Because you're the only one that can do that thing that God created you to do. Understand the thing you've been made for to do may be uncomfortable at first. Lean into it. Engage it. You'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will do for you. Allow God to use your pain and brokenness to heal others. Don't keep that healing to yourself. I want to... End today on this last idea. I want you to imagine for a second. 
you die. And you go to heaven and you're in front of Jesus. And after you gain your composure, he looks and says, hey, I want you to meet so-and-so. They're here because of you. What would that make you feel like? This person's in heaven because of you. Is that enough to motivate you to risk everything to do great ministry? Because that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about saving souls. We're talking about engaging broken people so that they can have the healing of Jesus so that they too can have eternal life that we have. That would be an incredible thing, huh? What if everybody in the church, what if everybody watching did that? What kind of church would we be? Every one of us engaging the broken. Every one of us out there in, the, in society making sure that they knew about Jesus and his healing. Oh man, what a thing. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's a dark place. So go out and be that light. And all God's people said, Amen.